We all have easily Ramoned names. Yeah. What would D- mine be? R- Rob- Robbie Ramon. Okay. Which is <laughs> just be Razor Ramon, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Razor Ramon. <laughs> Duffy Ramon and Joey Ramon. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Okay. Would you would yeah. go by Duffy Ramon or Danny Ramon? Uh, I don't know. It's, I think I, either works well. You could just take my initials and be D.D. Ramon, <laughs> but there oh. already is one of those. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> that was like such a genuine cool. Thing. It was cool. <laughs> I'm very punk, as you know. <laughs> yeah, man. Shh. Welcome to another episode. I'm your co-host Rob, and joined as always by my good friends Joe and Duff. Hello, everybody. Duff is better. <laughs> uh, and this is uh, the Midnight Boys present a free podcast. So our season of fears and phobias continues. We are talking about Pet Cemetery, the uh, 1989 release. There's a lot going on in this movie, guys. I, I actually think this is a, a, a situation, and I know you're not a fan of this, Joe, but I think this might be my longest plot summary we'll have to do for a movie. I think it's needed. Okay. You know, if you if you don't know, Pet Cemetery is based off the Stephen King book. We'll dig into that more. Uh, but I'm going to spoil it. And as always, Joe and Duff, jump in at any point if, to correct me or to add something that you think I may have missed that is important for our listeners. Gotcha. I'm going to stay out of it because I just finished the book today, and I okay. I don't want to like mistakenly say something that's in the book, not the movie, or vice versa. Okay. So it's up to Duff to remember precisely what's just in the movie. So before we start, uh, Rob knew nothing of Pet Cemetery. I had nothing. I had read the book when I was like 12 or 13, and I'd seen this movie, but it was roughly a little later, but probably like 14, 15. Joe, you had read it and decided to reread it. Had you seen the movie? I saw the movie like right after I read the book, and I I didn't really remember either one. All right, so the Creed family uh, moves out to Maine. They learn about a pet cemetery nearby from an old neighbor named Judd. Uh, The father of the Creed family, Lewis, is a doctor, and on his first day at his job, a jogger gets hit by a bus and killed. The ghost of this jogger starts to haunt Lewis, and warns him a bunch of things, including that the ground is sour. Little later on, the family cat, Church, is hit by a car and killed. And the neighbor, Judd, tells Lewis to go bury the cat beyond the cemetery in an old native burial ground. And uh, he does that, and the cat comes back to life and returns to the house. But this time, it's different. It's meaner. It's cranky. Zombie, cranky. Uh, zombie-ish. Um, Throws rats in the bathtub. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and then afterwards, Judd tells Lewis the story of doing the same thing for his dog as a boy. Um, later on in the movie, uh, the youngest Creed child, Gage, who is just a toddler, is hit by a car and killed. And Judd warns Lewis not to bury Creed in the native burial grounds. And he, and he tells him a story. Judd loves flashbacks. He tells him the story of a local man years ago who had buried his son there. And his son had came back as a zombie. And it was a problem. Uh, and the, the townsfolk sort of banded together and they killed the zombie kid and the father got dragged into it as well and died. Burned his house down. Yep. Uh, and Judd was part of that uh, townsfolk crew. Uh, Lewis decides, forget about that. He digs up his son and he buries him in that graveyard. Meanwhile, the dead jogger ghost is trying to help the mother, Rachel, to return home to stop what's going to happen from happening. So she's uh, off to Boston or something visiting her family. And so the, the, the ghost jogger is trying to help her. Um, Gage, the little boy returns as a zombie toddler and sneaks into the neighbor Judd's home. And along with the zombie cat helps kill him. Rachel gets home just in time. She's lured into Judd's home. She's also killed by this tag team. Lewis uh, goes to Judd's house. He uses morphine to kill the cat and his son. He then walks his dead wife to the cemetery to bury her there. Uh, The ghost jogger tells him not to do that. Uh, She returns. 
they embrace and the movie ends with her killing Lewis. The end. Uh, it's a pretty good summary. Um, I would, the only thing you forgot that I think will come up is that uh, Rachel has some issues with death because of her sister, Zelda. Yes. Uh, Zelda. The link to the past. Zelda <laughs> had spinal. <laughs> God damn it. You're... That was actually pretty good. Uh, Zelda had spinal meningitis Mm -hmm. and uh, Rachel and Zelda's parents decided that Rachel at eight years old should just be in charge of her for a while and a little traumatic watched her sister die. I don't know how accurate this view of spinal meningitis is. I I have notes about that. (laughs) Okay. Um, I also have thoughts on Zelda. Um, Okay. But yes, that is a big part of it. She's yeah. very afraid of Zelda. The, so the trauma kind of rings out like an ocarina in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Zelda's like so disfigured; it looks like she's wearing Majora's mask. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry guys. Puns just come to me like Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I'm done. I promise. Go ahead. So, Joe, um, is there any? Obviously, there are differences in any book to film but is there anything major that the book leaves that the movie leaves out um the movie leads out um uh, uh, being good (laughs) (laughs) so i was gonna say this guys um we i don't we don't need to like dive all the way into this but i'm saying this this is this is sincere rob here there are not two people whose opinions matter more to me from a recommendation standpoint as the two of you uh-huh. I don't it's, believe that, but uh-huh. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, we disagree a lot, but if you guys recommend a movie, I'm going to watch it. I'm, I, I, you know, that's that's a meaningful recommendation. Okay. This movie is bird boxy and stupid. <laughs> well, okay, and I can I I think that the biggest problem with the film is that it spends no time. Okay, and this is why I don't think really most Stephen King books work as movies. It's because pretty much everyone that I've read usually spends about 80% of the narrative just inside of the protagonist's head. Who is the protagonist in this, uh, in, this in the book? Lewis, okay. Is is Lewis sympathetic in the book? I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. I think so. I mean, it's a book about grief and and loss and 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 how to cope with grief and how there's no shortcuts to it. Which is a simple lesson, but it's done well in the book. The movie doesn't spend any time at all <laughs> with that. Yeah. So it spends, a lot, I think, a lot, not a ton of time, but a lot more time with Rachel and why she's so traumatized by that. And it's much much more sympathetic and nuanced in that from that perspective. The book is really slow for the first half. Over half of it, not much happens. It's just them kind of adjusting to that new place in Maine. Them kind of like working through within their relationship Rachel's issues surrounding death and then it's this sort of looming like supernatural presence in the background of that pet cemetery and then when Church dies then everything that's the catalyst for getting everything going in the movie it is just unbelievably rushed so you don't even under like when he when he digs up Gage you don't even it's just an absolutely totally completely insane thing to do and it is in the obviously in the book too but at least in the book we've spent over 200 pages uh thinking about grief we've spent many many pages since gage gage dies and what i think is probably the best part of the book is like the couple of days after he dies and sort of just the psychology of doing making the arrangements and the funeral there's also a really uh, testy relationship between Lewis and his father-in-law, which is shown in the movie by just men yelling loud. Yeah, funeral and, fight. I have that in my notes. Funeral fight. Yeah, <laughs> funeral fight. There is a punch up at the wedding in the book too, and and but you understand why it happens in the book, but like it doesn't. It just comes out of nowhere, kind of in the movie, at least from what I. Yeah, I would. I, I would say like grief in the movie is handled by just people being louder. We should probably we should probably touch on why this is a fears or pho- fears and phobias uh, if it isn't clear yet. Um, there is a uh, I'm sure I'm pronouncing this wrong, but uh, thano thanatophobia. 
It's the fear of Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, which... Every time I see jeweled rings, I just <laughs> seize up in fear. <laughs> uh, it's the fear of death. So it could be your own death, but uh, I think... Uh, more in this movie would be fear of someone else's death, uh, loved one's death, of course. And then uh, necrophobia, which is the fear of dead things or things. Things uh, assert, like coffins or yep. funerals. or Zombies. Just <laughs> zombies. Just probably like Halloween is tough if you have uh, necrophobia. Yeah. So a couple fears. I don't know if there's really worth digging into. I mean, obviously, uh, fear of death is pretty common it's like it's just a lot of anxiety around death of you or someone you love which you know that seems like a certain amount of that would be pretty normal it, yeah. abs- it absolutely rules that what separates us from other animals is that we know we'll die <laughs> is that true no other animals know that i think that's consciousness that people have i want to say I know, i'm gonna end up being totally wrong on this but i'm pretty it's sure it's something that, people say all the time so yeah i wouldn't it's gotta be true it. then yep. gotta yes, be true gotta be true um, uh, not only did Stephen King write the book that Pet Cemetery is based off of, but he I think this is the first time he actually wrote the script for the movie. He had conditions for this movie. He insisted it be filmed in Maine, mm-hmm. He and he insisted that he got to write the screenplay. And I don't know if he had directorial approval, but I think he was involved in the process. Try again, Steve. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought, yeah, it's uh okay. I well, I have this question for you. Uh, this movie has that is a high ranking for one of the dumbest lines in any movie I've ever heard. And you got to tell me if this line is in the book, okay, Joe? Yeah. Today is Thanksgiving Day for cats, but <laughs> yeah, only I, if they came back from the dead. No, that's not. <laughs> I still don't understand that line. What does that mean? Why he, would she... he? The cat dies on Thanksgiving. Oh, originally. Yeah. What? So the the his wife and daughter and son go away back to Chicago to visit their parents. It makes no sense. At <laughs> no, it still doesn't make sense. But I'm just I'm trying to explain. There is a Thanksgiving connection, but okay. it still doesn't make sense. Well, it was. I guess for the it's so it okay. So it, it wasn't untrue. It was Thanksgiving Day for cats. If they came back from the dead. My and, favorite, one of my favorite parts is how they signal to us that it's now Thanksgiving and that the kid takes the Halloween decoration out of the window and puts up a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Does your families do that? My mom was really big into like putting window stickers up for the holidays. Yeah, mine too. I, I know that like some people are really big into seasonal flags. What's a Thanksgiving flag look like? You, what you do is you just plant it on Native American uh, territory that you now want. That's a Thanksgiving <laughs> flag. Yes. Gosh. Um, other fun facts about this movie. Uh, these two things probably would have made it better, I'm confident. Uh, one, originally they wanted Bruce Campbell to play Lewis Creed. Yes. <laughs> well, if you're just going to make it wild, like this yeah. movie definitely gets in the last 20, like 20 minutes. Yep. Yeah, would have been great. Uh, and then uh, George A. Romero was originally set to direct the movie. Yeah, I think he got busy with something else or... uh it was the monkey shines Ooh, that's a good one we should do that movie sometime <laughs> that's funny romero is referenced in the book too so yeah so that's that's kind of the, the plot synopsis um we also have i mean I, i'll be honest guys i there's a lot of questions i have um I, and i have actually some stories here one i want to kind of share right off the bat is a big part of this is that people lived on a road that was really busy and through a lot of my childhood through different homes I lived in I lived on roads that were very busy and this movie has an early scene where uh, Gage runs out uh, into the road and he's saved by Judd Uh, obviously the second time he is not saved Um, but (laughs) I he has stopped he has stopped but just by something else yes (laughs) he has halted Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Runs like a Mac. Um, <laughs> so when I was a child, probably around Gage's age, oddly enough, because there's a moment in this movie where I want to be like, come on, parents. But I have to remember this happened to me when I was a child. Uh, we lived on a busy road, and my the story goes that my parents were uh, taking the uh, the groceries out of the car and walking them up 
to the house. And so, like, they thought I was next to them, but for whatever reason, I decided not to be next to them, and I ran onto a busy road. And they turned just in time to see me in the middle of the road. As I tell the story, this gets so wacky. It's it's coming, and they they they're like at the house. Like there's no way they're gonna be able to stop me. And they know if they call me over, it's gonna be even worse because I'm in the middle of the road. Did they say, "Oh, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Try okay. again next time"? Uh, they yell at me to lay down on the yellow lines. What? What? Because there was trucks coming, and they didn't want me to get hit by a car. So they just so I apparently just told me to lay in the yellow lines and I just apparently laid down in the yellow lines and both cars went by and then they went and got me. Did they drive over you? No, like <laughs> in the yeah, they hit me. I'm no, I'm he means no, like between no, the I, tires. He means between the tires, which would be amazing. No, I mean like the yellow like the, the yellow line in between. You the were lanes. between them. Uh, is what you mean? It's a two lane. It's a two lane road. Or so, th- yeah. So I thought you meant that your parents, like a truck was coming and your parents said lay down so that it would just go over you. No, they just wanted me to lay down so that I wasn't in either like land of traffic. Oh, okay. Uh, um, which I guess worked. Or maybe they buried me in a native burial uh, ground. I was going to say, <laughs> this <laughs> would explain, ex- a lot. explain lots. Explains Dad why would I had be shingles better. in college. Yep. Explains, maybe, okay, maybe you're right. Um. Are th- there were no Micmacs in Wisconsin, were there? <laughs> that I know of. But uh, um, the, we, there were Ojibwa, and they believed in the Wendigo as well. So. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And Wendigo's in the book, right? But not in, I mean, it's obviously not in the movie. Oh, yeah, it's in the book. Um, so that is my story of almost being hit by a car. Uh, so when I was watching that first scene, I'm like, you – and I was like, oh, no, my parents – did something similar, and I thought they were pretty good parents. So I mean, I feel like things happen. You know? I yeah. feel like every parent has a moment where they look away for just a second, and then you know something happens. And sometimes, uh, most of the time, it ends up being nothing. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't even have kids, but I know from watching my nieces, like sometimes you'll just turn away from it. It's like, oh God, that could have been bad. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, yeah. go lay down the yellow line. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, also I have some questions on pet cemeteries for you guys. I, all I know about pet cemeteries, I learned from <laughs> the Morris. Earl Morris documentary <laughs> Gates of Heaven. Yeah. As in, I didn't even know they existed until I saw that documentary. Uh, that's all I know too. Um, uh, I've looked it up. Apparently there are at least a dozen, um, and this is just famous ones. Like maybe there are a lot of small towns that have some. There's one in, uh. France, I believe. It's a Paris suburb. There's about 40,000 pets buried there. There are Jeez. royal pets, sh- show dogs. Uh, Rin Tin Tin is there. <laughs> really? Oh, Rin Tin Tin. Um, Where's Lassie? Uh, In a well. <laughs> uh, there's one on Hartsdale, New York. Uh, 100,000 animals on five acres. Uh, Guam has the National War Dog Cemetery. <laughs> wow. Hmm. It's, at a, it's at a naval base. Um, there's one. There's one inappropriately enough. Uh, Chihuahua, Mexico, called <laughs> Path to Eternity. The the owners of the cemetery offer funeral ceremonies. <laughs> so, so they're not that common. But did you guys know anyone who had like this kind of an ad hoc pet cemetery? I should probably let her. Uh, anyone who hasn't seen or read this book, the reason it's spelled with an S is because that's the way uh, when these kids made this pet cemetery, they spelled it, which was confusing to me at first. I don't know of any ad hoc pet cemeteries. No, in the, real the, uh, personally. Um, growing up, I had a, I had a friend, and he had neighbors. I think they were like two brothers, and I think they might have both been, um, uh, uh, cognitively disabled in one or in some way. Mm-hmm. And they lived together, and what they would always have a a black uh, lab that for a pet named Sheba. And my friend told me that, like, every few years, Sheba would end up dying. They would bury it in their yard, and they would buy another black lab <laughs> and name it Sheba. What? <laughs> hmm. So apparently, like, their their whole backyard was just full of, like, dead black labs named just Sheba. Pile, a pit of <laughs> dead Shebas? I don't know if it was, like, a pit or if they put in, like, a I'm new I'm pretty spot. sure it wasn't a pit. Do you think they they seem to go through a lot of dogs? Do they bother to fill it in each time? Like, oh, we're just gonna get another, 
get another dog that's gonna die. It's just like trench warfare. Just Sheba eighteen <laughs> fell in a pit. <laughs> so yeah, um, there was just a bunch of like, and like this. This is like a friend told me that story. So probably there was a Sheba dog that died, and they got a new one and named it Sheba. But in the retelling, it was like, oh yeah, they've just had dozens of dogs. <laughs> All were black clams. Well. I mean, I guess. I People know. are. Was it George Foreman? <laughs> People are going to move into that house, and then they're going to find out. It's like, did they tell you about the dogs? Did they tell you about the army of Shebas that are going to come like, after there's, you? There's going to be an especially rainy summer or something, and just a bunch of dog bones are just going <laughs> to sift up through the grass. It's just like under a tarp. You're like, what's underneath that tarp? <laughs> Oh my god, it's just like the corpses. Of just a bunch of bones and collars in there. <laughs> All the collars say Shiva. Oh. I have a story that's not really about a pet cemetery, but it's about a pet burial, and it's, I think, in keeping with the, the movie. I would guess I was probably between 8 and 10. We had a hamster, and the hamster, as hamsters do, died. Uh, so it was an ex-hamster. Uh, <laughs> 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 God, that's that's a yeah, that's a joke yeah. that some people are gonna get. Yeah. <laughs> Don't Google Rob's joke at work if you didn't get it. <laughs> the hamster's name was Frank. Frank. <laughs> Frank. So Frank died, and I wanted to give Frank. He just couldn't give up smoking. <laughs> I want Frank died, and I wanted to give Frank a proper burial. Now this was like january in Mm. minnesota yeah so i was very upset that we that the ground was too cold too hard we couldn't bury frank so what my parents let me do is we got out a ziploc bag oh oh no and we put frank in a ziploc bag and we tucked him away in the freezer what (laughs) come on I'm, I'm Why on that. earth would you do that? Because because I wanted to give my pet. How old were you? Uh, between third. eight and ten, so like oh. third, fourth grade, something like that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give Frank a proper burial. The ground mm-hmm. was too cold. Yep. Um, I don't remember if it was my idea or m- maybe my mom's idea, but we said, "Well, we'll put Frank into a Ziploc bag. <laughs> we'll tuck him in the back of the freezer, and then in three <laughs> months, when the ground thaws out." We will give Frank a proper burial, and that's what we did. So he he made it through it. Your dad didn't like confuse it with a fish stick or something. Uh, no, no, no <laughs> one, no one accidentally took out Frank and microwaved him for dinner. <laughs> Alvarez. Wow. Did you? So, um, have you? Is that the only pet you've ever buried in your yard? No, we buried one of my cats in the yard. Okay. And I dug the hole, but I, but I was. <sighs> I was too sad to like look at the cat. My dad uh, wrapped it up in the blanket and put it in the hole once I had dug it. Another related thing to this movie that I can relate to is living on a road where uh, I almost said horses, <laughs> where horses get hit by cars a lot. Um, God, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> You're fantasizing now. Uh, your anti-horse and your crusade continues. Rhetoric. You pushed a horse in front of a truck. <laughs> I pushed a horse because I don't like their dumb heads. Um, I I uh, I lived on a busy road. I moved to a farm when I was uh, still pretty young, and we lived on a, another like busy county road. And so I lost a handful of, of dogs that got hit by cars because we'd kind of let her. We had like a hundred acres. We let our dogs run around and try to train them not to go to the the road, but sometimes they would. Uh, and so I had a, a dog, my favorite dog growing up, that got hit. And, like, I think I've told you guys this, like, paralyzed her back legs. Yeah. And we went saw a doctor and, like, a vet, not a doctor, a vet, <laughs> uh, a doctor of dog. Dr. Dog. Um, the, the band's Dr. Dog. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Dr. We Feelgood. <laughs> we, we went and saw a vet. And I'm really mad about this vet still because this can't I, – I wasn't there for this appointment. But he was, like – there's like a 50% chance that she'll regain her legs. And we're like, I'm like thinking at the time I was in like high school, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's how that works. And like, we waited like a week and this dog couldn't use its back legs. So I like, the dog was still living and I like had to like dig the hole. And then we had an uncle 
deal with it in quotations um because we're too cheap sent, to actually sent pay it for to someone. the far, sent it to yes. the farm up state right yep right uh they gave it the full old yeller yep 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 Man, that's sad did you um, hear it no so i buried it i mean i sorry i dug the hole and then I, I, I was not. I think I was at school, or I wasn't around when they actually, when he came over and actually shot the dog. So yeah, that was tough. Is your childhood full of dogs being hit? Why you're so callous to animals now? Uh, to some extent, yeah. Like probably th- three dogs I know got hit by a car. Jeez. So like when they talk about that here, like man, is this cars the roads just chew up animals like. I get that. Like in a rural area, that that's generally what happens to your pet is like it gets hit by a car, which is too bad. But I also like the other part of me is like, yeah, but for like nine years they ran around and had a whole farm to themselves. Like that's yeah, a pretty good trade off. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, then again, you could do that, and you just sit on the couch all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like an indoor dog. But I've been hit by zero cars. Yeah, I know. But like, I mean, just saying, you choose to be indoor and sedate. So but maybe dogs, dogs would don't choose know to. they can die, Joe. <laughs> well, for now. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I I, I get I, I get that thing. Although I I was thinking like this town may need to think about changing the speed limits or something because not only are animals being hit, but like the movie begins with someone jogging on the road and getting hit by a car. In the book again there's a supernatural element to it and in the movie do they talk about the truck driver at all and what he does and what happens after no he hits just that he likes the ramones <laughs> so in the book he the driver had never gotten a speeding ticket had like a perfect record and he he's so struck by guilt that he tries to kill himself they mentioned that he talked about how he never never sped never got a ticket never got pulled over but as he approached that area he just had this compulsion to just see how fast the truck could go and it's sort of tied in all these different ways that this the pet cemetery has this power over over people. Did you guys think about Bill Cosby and Ghost Dad during some of the Pascal <laughs> Ghost Jogger stuff in the uh, in the airport? That was the only kind of part of the movie that I thought was sort of good. Is at okay. least like it was it was pretty gruesome and creepy, and it, it came the closest to like being creepy in a Stephen King kind of way instead of a creepy in a like we're trying to make a scary movie kind of way. But even still, the ghost ghost jogger is kind of tries to be funny in the movie, and he yes. never tries to be funny at all in the book. <laughs> He's like telling jokes and stuff, and like... yeah, but at least like like the makeup is has, really cool. He has a couple of makeup puns. is good. Yeah. It's like yeah. Rob if Rob was hit by a truck. Oh, <laughs> uh, which maybe God, I was as a kid. We don't know. Yeah, this, I'm Pascal. I just, this movie is dumb. That's really. I mean, so, I know it's. So, I know what the book's always better, but this one it's like so, there's no so reason for it to be so much worse. Getting getting into it now. Um, this is not a good movie. Don't watch it. But I really like this movie. <laughs> well, I mean, like I think that you probably if you watch this movie, you need. You need to watch it with some friends where you can crack wise during it. And I crack agree. open some beers while you're watching it too. Yeah. Do not so, take it seriously. I, I I think that there are some things there are some things this movie does well, and there's a lot of things this movie does very badly. I will. Well, it's, I, it's poorly acted. It's oh the act yeah. the act <laughs> it's so bad. The acting is terrible. <laughs> the the main character Lewis, who we're supposed to identify with, is just the blandest of bland white guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I do like Fred Gwynn <laughs> doing his. He, he's so bad on there's that scene when uh, they're sitting at the table and like. Oh, when uh, he knocks over the beer. Yeah. How like, could you even say that? God's name. <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, it's like, it's like middle school theater. It, it's always, it's like Larry David's fake faint. Yes. <laughs> so I, here are some more book to movie questions I have. And this result, this revolves around uh, Judd's logic. Judd almost immediately realizes, oh, maybe taking him to the Micmac burial ground was not a good idea. Then has a story about, oh, yeah, and then my dog came back and it was a zombie dog. Yes! um, And also, also I had to help kill this zombie person. (laughs) So why, why did Judd think that, like, why is the whole point because Ellie wasn't ready to deal with death? That that's the biggest problem with the movie. So in the in the book, the cat is not mean when it comes back. 
It's, it's just, just in a hat. It, it's just... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it just won't take off the goddamn hat. And it just like... We're like... They're like we it's need just to causing this mischief up. all the time. <laughs> Mom's coming home. There's this stern fish. <laughs> Doc, <laughs> Dr. Lewis is the cat in the hat. <laughs> I'm sorry, tell us about no, the cat. So, so the cat kills, like, starts killing animals and stuff when it comes back, and it smells and has weird eyes and stuff, but it never hurts anybody. Okay. So the whole point is that he sort of eventually talks himself into, like, you know, th- the cat came back, but it never hurt anybody, and yeah, it's not right. It's not the same, but, it, but it's it still saved alive. The, it saved Ellie some grief. Yeah, and so, and then same thing with, with Judd's dog exactly the same the dog comes back and it smells and it kind of looks funny and it's not quite the same but it's mm-hmm. not mean it's fine and, the, and this is repeated several times in the book only one animal ever came back mean and it was when this guy tried to bring his prize bull back <laughs> i was hoping it was a horse <laughs> okay no, prize so, bull. It's, yeah the so, movie really screws up on that part yeah because then it doesn't make any sense because the cat's super mean the dog yeah. is, ba- is basically like a little cujo Yep. And, and when yeah. and when Lewis at the end of the movie is like, I'm just going to have my wife buried too. I'm like, is this the dumbest person in the history of cinema? Like, you're just like, why have you not learned anything? This is your O for two. So in, and I, it's been a long time, but I do remember in the book that once you know Lewis and you kind of have this, it's kind of this slow burn into madness. Like it's not, it's not any more logical, but it makes sense in the story. Right, Joe? Yeah. So Judd says that, when the after the cat comes back and it's kind of messed up, he says like I just thought maybe this would teach her. I don't know if he uses the phrase at this point, but that debt is better, and and she does sort of figure that. And she even mentioned that in the book sometimes she's like, you know, I think if Church died, I would be able to handle it. After he mm-hmm. comes back, he talks. She talks to Lewis about it, and he also says like I just once you go to that pet cemetery and you and you do it one time. It, it takes a hold of you, and he set, talks about how he had had this compulsion to just take him there. So it wasn't just a rational decision he makes in the book. He just can't help it. He just has to do yeah. it. Yeah. And and then during the walk, which is one of the creepiest parts of the book, is like when they're walking. It's there's like they hear all these creepy noise. They do it a little. They, that's another insane thing. They walk there during the day in the movie to bury his cat. Yeah. And in the in the book, it said them like at midnight, and there's fog everywhere, and there's all these scary noises, and some like weird giant creature that like walks up to them, and he can't see it. It's pretty scary. And and then the movie, they're like, oh, we'll just do it in the day. And so it's just <laughs> like, oh, he just falls down his back. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. So that and so, then and then and that's the other weird thing is, so so then this comes happens later in the movie. He finally gets him to admit, did they ever take a person in there? I think we yeah. could go to that now. God right? no, God, no! How could you even say that? It's like, well, what do you mean? How could you even say that? We just brought a cat back from the dead. Yeah. Seems like the, seems and like then a, the story is like, yeah, we did, and we had to burn him and his dad alive. Yeah, but and, in the book they don't do that. Okay. In the book, it's so much more powerful. So in the book, they um, he dies in the war, and his dad does bring him back, and people start to see the the kid, guy walking on the street. And so the army starts to get all these letters like, hey, the soldier was supposed to be dead, but we keep seeing him walking on the street and everyone's getting all upset. So these Judd and his two friends go there to confront the dad and they see the son just uh, in the backyard kind of messed up, you know, like all the things you bring back are like his you, his hair is all sticking up where the bullet left the back of his skull. Okay. And he's just staring at the sun and his face is all sunburned and like peeling because he's just staring at the sun. <laughs> it was like, oh god, and his dad is just Black sitting on the porch. Son, yeah, yeah. Won't yeah. you come? <laughs> so, so his dad is is like trying to convince them, like, no, he's they got the wrong guy. He's fine. And then like the son walks over to them and starts saying things about their lives that no one else knows. Like he tells one guy that his wife is cheating on him. He tells Judd that he knows that he's visit visits prostitutes sometimes and stuff. So then like it, the, eventually they all get freaked out that he knows this stuff and they run away. And in the book. He kills. He eventually kills his son, then sets his house on fire and kills and shoots himself. Oh, okay. So the, the, it's not like a, it's not like a Beauty and the Beast situation where they're yes. all running with pitchforks <laughs> and stuff. 
and I think that that makes it so much more powerful too, because like it shows like he he regretted what he did. No. Yeah. So, Dust, I know you want to talk about Zelda. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, this there's is crazy. a couple a couple things going on with Zelda. Uh, number one, they had the bold decision to have Zelda played by an adult man. Yep. <laughs> the Zelda footage is creepy as hell but does not make a lot of sense yeah because it's like a 13 year old kid and you're like what is this <laughs> why, why is this in your, in your upstairs it, it's norman bates in a wig rolling around in a bed <laughs> um and also uh you know i'm fine with a little uh creative license but uh Rob, did you mention this? That uh, I don't think this is an accurate portrayal of meningitis. <laughs> I feel like this is spinal meningitis, and maybe this. So there's a couple things I'm going to defend the movie slash. I'm assuming the book a little bit on this, and that this is like you know she's an eight year old thinking of like what this was like for her view, which I could understand maybe, you know. So this is sort of like a skewed narrative to some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it does seem like something that like if. Like, if I guess if someone had spinal meningitis and you were like, here, just go in this room and you did nothing about it, like, I suppose that would happen, which is kind of implied somewhat in the movie. But otherwise, I don't think this is like the normal progression of spinal meningitis. My understanding is if you get spinal meningitis, it's two days and you're dead, usually. Is, well, there's bacterial and there's viral, and I, there's a difference, but I don't know what it is. Uh, As we we proved it's last so week funny that idiots. we're one week after Rob confused scoliosis for <laughs> spinal meningitis. <laughs> yeah, now. now he's the spinal meningitis expert. All one I, week later. All I know is that I did my, a little research. <laughs> Rob went to med school last week. And <laughs> all I know is my mom made me get a meningitis vaccination before college because you can get it on dorm floors so that is must it from be hum- is it from humping like why is it a dorm thing is it well, just close quarters it's close quarters it's common in the army i don't know if there is as there is common now but for a while there are all these stories about someone would just all of a sudden they'd get a fever and then a day later they were dead mm-hmm. there was none of this like my flesh has sunken down and <laughs> i've gone insane uh at one point i thought <laughs> i've turned into a deformed iggy pop at- <laughs> At one point, I th- I thought her spine was going to come out like the chest burster in Alien. It was I was like, is that spine moving? Is yeah, yeah it's she, pretty. It's actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, she didn't have much lust for life at that point. <laughs> so yeah, Zelda is a trip. <laughs> yeah, she is. She is. But I, I agree with Rob. Like, I think it's meant to be. It's, it's like the subjective view of a young girl that has to watch her, her sister fade away and die uh yeah it's it's interesting uh i mean i guess like if i had seen this movie when i was younger it's probably the scariest part Mm. let's dig into stephen king actually i'm not gonna make you as mad as you think because i'm only familiar with his adaptations and like there are a lot of good stephen king adaptations there's many more bad ones (laughs) i would say like when you have like 70 adaptations like there's going to be it just it it really doesn't so many of his books are just so internal and they're not like i just a really difficult thing to adapt like all of them you come out read finishing them and you're like oh man this would be a cool movie but but then you think about the book and and there's not for many of them not a whole lot happens and it's just about people with broken brains to varying degrees i guess like okay let's talk about the shining so we've all seen the shining at least Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, Duff, I've read the book. Duff, have you read the book too? Yes, but it was junior high, so it's been a, quite a while. Yeah, it's been a while too, but it is a great book, and the movie is great because it doesn't try to just take the book and then make it shorter and follow along with what happens, which is what Pet Cemetery. That's exactly what Pet Cemetery does. Is it just like looks? Here's all the things that happen in the book. Here's what we have room for in the movie. Let's just do it. In a novel, you can read literally read somebody's thoughts, and films have a tougher time doing that, but good filmmakers can figure it out. So mm-hmm. I think Stanley Kubrick figured it out. So so Stanley Kubrick's like, well, I'm not even going to try to redo this book. I'm just going to take the framework of that setting and that scenario, and I'm going to do something different with it. And I think the Stephen King adaptations of, at least of his horror work, that does that, it works out well. Um, but I think we're with his like more dramatic stuff like Shawshank Redemption and stuff that then you can kind of follow it more straight up and, it and stand t- by tends me. To be I, good. I yeah. like stand by me quite a bit. 
yeah, that stuff tends to be good. And I, I think um, he just is really, really great, even if you don't love his prose, which I think I think he's a good writer. He comes up with great stories. Obviously, it's been a super long time, but I think Pet Cemetery might be the best book I've read by him because it's, you know, it's reasonably short. There's not a lot of fat. There's not a ton of stuff where it could be easily cut out. It has all of the Stephen King strengths and none of the weaknesses because even in The Stand, especially, and I think The Stand is great, but it's kind of like the Beatles White Album where it's just <laughs> like... That's, yeah, that's a pretty good compar- well, analogy. Like there. there is, like, you know, there's Deus Ex Machina endings and there's a very magical black lady. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's not perfect, that's No, sure. he's not good with... Uh, He's not good with non-white guys, and often yeah, true. He, and often he really needs an editor. So I put this in the notes, uh, and we'll p- put up the question of Stephen King under, over, or properly rated. I think at this point he's properly rated, um, but but a lot of people who are really into, um, I don't know. He I guess he just sort of like has this reputation that. It's just like, I don't know, like John Grisham pulp, like trash, you know, like something you just read in in the airport or on the airplane or whatever. But I think that's selling him short. I think I think he's a pretty good writer. And I think that this book really does. um, And and I think like a lot of the books that he wrote from this time period are really just about sobriety. Right. And and obviously The Shining we know is i think he's said it and that's is. what that's what good horror or sci-fi does right it's about a real issue that yeah and and i think that it's about how there's no shortcuts and i think yeah. that that pet cemetery the what it really is talking about is that it has to hurt and it's going to take a long time and yeah. you just have to sit in it and and it's about that human compulsion to look for shortcuts so it doesn't hurt anymore and for some people that's drink or drugs and it, and then in this case like that's an element too a little bit in pet cemetery like you could tell that that kind of thing is on his mind but it's primarily just if there's a shortcut to get yourself out of pain people are going to use it and people that aren't in pain aren't going to understand why they did it what was he addicted to everything <laughs> <laughs> I, he was an alcoholic and i think he did a lot of cocaine too but, okay but yeah he would just do by the late 80s he he was off the stuff. Okay. Um, so well, good for him. Yeah, and, and and an interesting thing that I I read about him is he's he's been pretty frank and open about it. But he would talk about it. He would just go, and it, it that just became a part of. And this is something that a lot of writers had struggled with. Is like, well, I'm writing, so I'm going to start drinking. You know, Hemingway, Fitzgerald, on and on and on. And he would go into like this shed that he would write in, and he would just start drinking. Then at the end of the night, he'd put it all in the trash or the recycling bin or whatever. Then he'd go inside, and then he'd wake up in time to make his kids breakfast and get them off to school. And he just kind of like was in this mindset that as long as I'm taking care of my kids and I'm writing, then I'm not addicted and everything's fine. But obviously, not the case, you know. But and I can easily see how he could have thought that because they were these were some of his most lucrative years. These were when mm-hmm. he was writing The Shining, Carrie, Christine, The Stand. Like, these were some of his biggest hits. Uh, One thing I was going to say about King, I actually feel in some ways he's underrated, and I think it's largely because he's a genre writer. Um, I think, and this isn't an original thought by far, but he's really, really good at writing descriptions of people and everyday people and the the thought process they have. And... The re- another reason I say underrated is that I don't, you know, he's not really brought up in college courses or high no. school. And when you think about it, I mean... I think it'll be, it's like an Edgar Allan Poe th- is a good comparison. Yeah. Where, like, his his prose is strong, uh, and, mm-hmm. and I think Stephen King's is as well. But part of it is just a functional thing. Like, Edgar Allan Poe, you can... You can teach the raven in your class and you can go through it in a couple days or whatever right but yeah. what, what stephen king book a stephen king there's always like sex in his books yeah uh, sometimes like unnecessarily but you know people have sex so it doesn't bug me but 
you know, like there's several moments in, in this where he talks about having sex with a, uh, Lewis and his wife having sex. And I, I think in these days that's a little more relaxed, but um, it just, I don't know. I think that a part of it is just if, if a school is like, hey, we're going to teach, I don't know, which book would you teach? The Shining? You could probably do one of the novellas, maybe. Maybe, maybe not the non-horror stuff, but... Like the body uh, or, yeah. <clears throat> I th- or something. On, I mean, obviously, you probably couldn't for reasons you just said, but I think Pet Cemetery would be a good pick just for talking about grief and loss. It, the the stuff that they write after his son, he, the, the stretch where he writes about him getting ready for the funeral and at the funeral and stuff, like the way I really related to it because the way when, when something that you feel guilty about and, and something terrible happens and you feel like you could have stopped it. You couldn't have, but you feel like you could have. Is that what you feel about this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, it sounds like you would rec- you would recommend, maybe not this movie, but you would recommend Pet Cemetery as a book that's a shorter version of a novel that, uh, a shorter novel. So yeah, it's still so pretty, it's still pretty long. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would, but I mean, it's if not. You're, if you're just going to sit down and read one, you should read The I, Shining. Yeah, I would, I would thoroughly recommend Pet Cemetery the book. Uh, I would too. I would too. Okay. I have some uh, odds and ends. Yeah, okay. let's get into the odds and ends because uh, I was excited to talk about one of these. This is directed by a woman, which is mm-hmm. uh, rare nowadays, but even more rare back then. Yep. Uh, Mary Lambert had directed a ton of music videos. She did stuff for Janet Jackson, Tom uh, Tom Club, The Go-Go's. But most famously, she did videos for Madonna, and she did the Like a Virgin video and Like a Prayer video, which came out this same year. So a pretty big year for her. She also directs a sequel. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't really think she ever really had another hit other than this, though. No, I, I think this was 1989 between this and that video. That was probably the the peak of her career. But she uh, definitely made some some cool music videos. Like that Like a Virgin one is is really good. <laughs> Speaking of music, uh, we sort of have a yeah uh, uh, interesting closing song here in, in the credits. Yeah, it's okay. So the rare point where it's a it's a, a closing like uh, rock song on the cl- in credits that does not fit in any way tonally with the film. No, which is a hallmark of films in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> yeah, and this is like the only like the only one. I this is the only time I could think of where there's like a rock song that kicks in. You're like, oh, this doesn't fit at all, and it's a song that I kind of like. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 not top tier Ramones, probably not even mid tier. It's low tier, eh, mid to low tier Ramones. From, from what I've read, it is divisive amongst Ramones fans. Yeah, it's not a good Ramones song. It is weird. It so is- I didn't. I, I assumed. I, I I apologize if I assumed incorrectly. I just assumed that that Duff would do the research to figure out how because the book is filled with uh, the film. The book repeats that "Hey ho, let's go," and it quotes Blitzkrieg Bob in the beginning of one of the parts. There's three parts in the book, and it quotes that song. Yeah, Stephen King loves to quote white guy rock music. <laughs> yeah, so the Ramones are are referenced many many times in the book. So, do you know what's going on there? Like is just Stephen King was a big Ramones fan, so did he make sure they got a song into the movie? And because it, she knew she could because she worked in music videos, she knew them. Yeah, it was it was a little of both. Uh so, St- okay. St- Stephen King was a huge Ramones fan, but the the story of it has several funny elements. Okay. Stephen King, he invited the Ramones to his house just to hang out, and he, <laughs> he gave Dee Dee Ramone a copy of Pet Cemetery, and this is per Wikipedia, the bassist retreated to the basement. One hour later, he showed up with the lyrics to Pet Cemetery, the song. Cool. Marky Ramone claimed that Dee Dee's attitude that day showed he could achieve his plans to leave the band and attempt a career at hip-hop. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> hold, on, hold on a second. <laughs> like he wrote the lyrics and he thought he could turn it into a rap song? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the Ramones went in. They made this song. And interestingly, it's I would say it's a fun, catchy song, not necessarily a great song. But this was the biggest hit they had in quite a while. And it yeah. is their highest charting song. <laughs> 
Oh, that's crazy. It hit number four on the alt-rock charts. Uh, the only The Cure, Love and Rockets, and 10,000 Maniacs kept them out from number one. Oh, wow, that's weird. That's crazy. Part of the reason we decided to do this episode, obviously, is there's a reboot coming out. Are you guys going to uh, – How what would your interest between one and ten be in seeing that movie? Uh, well, now that I've done this, like I'm probably much more likely to see it because people that listen to the show are going to ask me what I think about it. So I'll, I'll probably go see it. I'd say I'm a solid seven. If um, we lived in the same city, it would be guaranteed that we would go see it. Yeah. But, um, but I don't I don't know if I, I – I mean, I go to movies by myself. I yeah, think, I, I so might. So I'll, I'll probably go see it alone. I might go see it. I, I would say I'm more likely to. If reviews come out and they just savage it, I probably won't. But it, if it comes out and it gets good reviews like It did. Um, yeah. We're in it the, was awesome. We're in this, it was good. I enjoyed we're, it. We're in this weird period where all of a sudden they're actually letting good creative people make Stephen King movies instead of in the 80s where it was just like – we have, we have two million dollars. Who can who can we get cheap to make an adaptation of Thinner or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think that John Lithgow playing the Judd part is a great choice. Yes, I, I thought it was that... Matthew Perry in the trailer through the entire movie as the main Doctor character. <laughs> it is not Matthew Perry. It is it is Jason <laughs> Clark who I think is boring as hell. But yeah, but yeah. any we'll see. Um, I did read that Lithgow's not doing the main accent, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. It, it, yeah. That's a tough accent to do. So here's here's my question. Is Fred Gwynn's accent accurate? I don't know. I have no idea. I have doesn't no idea. It doesn't seem like it is. It seems like it doesn't seem good to me, but I, I could be wrong. It's one of those things where it's actual main accents can be so ridiculous that maybe it's good i don't know uh main residents at us <laughs> chime in um whenever they get the internet there and they start <laughs> listening to this sorry i and, i live in wisconsin and i have no right to make fun of people like that enjoy your lobster <laughs> i i would like to go to maine that seems like a beautiful place anything else on uh pet cemetery guys um I don't think so. I I, I think uh, I think we did a pretty good job of breaking this one down. I I think that the most horrifying thing I can imagine is if you took a parrot to the pet cemetery. <laughs> parrots are awful birds to begin with. And they'll come a back. llama. A llama would be pretty bad too. Mm. Why? Llamas are good. They're kind of mean. Yeah. They spit at you. <laughs> we've co- we've completed our fears and phobia season. Our second season. We will now retreat into our hovels. Well, listeners, you should uh, go on iTunes, write us a review. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at A Free Podcast. You can uh, join our Facebook group at uh, afreepodcast.com slash freeloaders. You can join the freeloaders. We can discuss. Tell us what Stephen King uh, books slash movies you like. I love to interact with fans on there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also email us at midnightboyspod at gmail.com. And like I said, we're going to retreat for a while, probably about a month or so, and then we will come back with a new theme in season. And we're going to have our beach. We, would you say we'll have our beach bodies ready for the summer? Oh, yeah. I've been, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so we're going to come back season three with our beach bots. All right. We'll be back, I don't know, in the future. In the year 2000. 2000. In the year 2000.